we're not trying to be aggressive with it. We're just trying to be ourselves. One of my favorite sayings that I've heard since coming out was, be careful what you say because you never know who it affects. What you're saying is, don't be who you are. Hide who you are because it makes me uncomfortable. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Social Discord, episode 12, part, oh, what is part three of Whose Gender Is It Anyway? Perspectives from the Trans Community. As usual, I am your host for today's episode, Dalen Turk. I'm Kara Tebow. And I'm Curtis Medina. Now, last episode, we had a fantastic conversation with Holly, Megan, Scott that gave us a really bright perspective on the trans community that, personally speaking for me, I really haven't had the insight on before. So I love that conversation. What do you guys think? Yeah, it was awesome. And, and you know, what's really important, too, is it's something I, I learned from one of the books I read that was actually written by a trans person. What they said was, you know, there's so much of this discussion that goes on without any trans people, even as a part of the conversation. So, I mean, I think it's really like cool to be able to have the opportunity to get this subject out to people, you know, using this this show. And there I go again. I'm trying my best to not say you guys. And I did it so well the last episode and I've done it twice today. <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it it happens i mean it's it's something that i think people have to yeah you have to self-regulate you have to but i don't think you, I, don't, I don't think you can beat yourself up about it either you know right uh yeah it's a learning process I'm, I'm doing my best but we're having another conversation like that today so curtis why don't you introduce today's guest yeah i'm really proud to introduce you to zan lutsky uh they are a non-binary trans person um, and, uh, they are a sexuality and gender educator and trans organizer. So, uh, welcome Zan. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Now for people who don't know what non-binary trans means, um, could you tell us a little bit about, about that? Of course. So non-binary trans, I guess would be the opposite side if opposites even do exist, to the binary trans, which is what most people think of when they think of transgender people. So, um, you know, people who were assigned female at birth but are men are people who are assigned male at birth but are women. So non-binary, I like to say there's infinite ways to be non-binary and not Mm -hmm. every non-binary person identifies as being transgender. Um, I do, but um, basically it means... Your gender doesn't align with your sex assigned at birth, um, but not necessarily in a binary way. So it could be anything from, you know, um, so it's yeah. So non non-binary is kind of an umbrella term, um, and yeah, then there's a lot of different definitions. And my understanding in is that you know to be to be trans basically just means you started one place and you're transferring or you have transferred to something else. And so in your case, it's, you didn't transfer from one gender to another. You transferred from what you were assigned at birth to non-binary. Would that be correct? Kind of. So (laughs) I think I, I, I get where you're coming from. I think the important thing to remember though, is that people, who are trans are not going from one thing to another. They've always been that gender. Right. Yes. And they're just being open about it now. Yes. Um, so 
Like I've always been non-binary, even though if you had asked me at 12, I would have been like, I am a woman through and through and I'm mm-hmm. strong and I'm a feminist and like, and now I'm like, I'm non-binary and I'm a feminist. <laughs> I, I feel like that's definitely something that people outside of the queer community struggle to understand because, you know, someone from the outside looking in who doesn't really quite understand, they see it from this is what you were, this is, you know, what you were assigned to and this is what you're changing into. And it's like, well, no, this is what they've always been. It's just that now they're being open about it. I feel like the the word trans is kind of a, like, it might even be the wrong word, like, in general to use. I kind of hope that, like, a, like eventually it kind of fades out and, and we can just say, you know, I I was born a woman. That's That's how it is. Or I was born, you know, a man. Or I was born non-binary or whatever. It seems like the word trans kind of confuses it a little bit. It is a bit of a misnomer. Um, I do think that we've made like a good update to saying transgender instead of like transsexual mm-hmm. though. Um, so I think we're making progress. It's just, it's hard. <laughs> we are, we have so much vocabulary within the trans community itself. Um, keeping up with it can be a bit tricky um, yeah. for anyone even within the community. So it, it's, it's, it's like a textbook almost, you know, there's, there's revisions all the time and I, you know, I might even have the penultimate version, but, you know, we're all just trying to keep up. You know, it's it's funny you bring up like how many different words and, you know, definitions of what there are, because in research for the series that we've been working on, I found basically it was a like a glossary for like LGBTQ words. And it was so long. And I was like, I, most of these I haven't even heard of. And it was really fascinating because it's like you get some that are so similar and it's like this one defining thing that makes them different. But it's such an important part that you have to separate them. And it's luckily we're getting to a point now where people have more, I guess you could say, options to define who they are. If, you know, that's a way to put it. Yeah. I think I think it's I think it's really helpful, especially within the community. Like I said, when we when we first so before we started recording, we were talking. And I was like, oh, I could list all of my labels, <laughs> all of my identities, and you know, within certain circles, I wouldn't be able to do that. Like I I really stick with just the fact that I'm queer, or some people are like outside of the community or even in the community aren't comfortable with the term queer. So, mm-hmm. oh, I'm bisexual and. Um, and then they get confused because bisexuals can't like non-binary people, according to some people. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I think I think it depends on which circles you're in, but especially like within the trans community itself or especially within the non-binary community, it can be helpful trying to find your own people and find a group that you feel understands you. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, so we introduced you as um, a, a sexuality and gender educator and trans organizer. Um, what what does that mean? What 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 do you do as in those titles? So, as a sexuality and gender minority educator, I basically just teach people about sexuality and gender, um, especially gender minorities such as non-binary people, gender non-conforming people, trans people, um, and then with trans organizing. Um, I'm a community organizer for a lot of different human rights issues. 
Um, but being a trans person, yeah, sometimes I have to prioritize myself, especially with the way the government's been acting the past couple of years. So, yeah. How bad has it been in the last couple couple of years? I say I, I think you're talking specifically about since Trump has been elected. You know what? Um, well, you know, give us the spark notes for you know what are the what what are the what. Uh, I guess most important egregious acts that that have been happening with with the, those policies. Okay, um, so of course, uh, one of the biggest things in the news regarding Trump and trans rights was the trans military ban. Um, I have a lot of friends in the military that lost their jobs because of wow. it. Wow. Um, and it's and it's hard, um, especially as a trans person, you face a lot of employment discrimination already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the military is kind of one of those things that was always like a sure bet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to know that the military is going to turn you away and that's how you were paying for college or getting right. the healthcare you need or. Well, you know, so many whatever. people go to the military because they don't have other options. You right. know I mean? Some people just do it because that's what they want to do. They want to serve their country. That's great. But a lot of people definitely have that second reason or maybe even a first reason that, you know, I'm not welcome at home or I just don't want to be at home. Therefore I'm going to do this thing for myself and help my country. And it's crazy that, that we wouldn't allow them to do that. It is. So that leads me to actually one of the more recent decisions that's come out, which is the Supreme court decision to not allow employment discrimination based on sexuality or gender Mm -hmm. identity. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm interested to see how that plays out with the military. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, I think I, I don't think, think it applied some... to government, didn't it? Wasn't there something in like I, I'm not for sure about this, but I want to say that there was some kind of special like thing in that law that said like unless you're in government, it was some stupid like provision. Oh, I didn't see that. I have to admit, I have been trying to keep up on things, but it does wear me down to <laughs> have to read about my rights being taken away consistently. Yeah. So sometimes I have to take a break or not read the the full bill or full decision. Um, Do you yeah, know let, what their justifications were for not allowing trans people in the military? Is it because of, do they justify it through like because of medical expenses or, you know? Yes, that was, that, that, was the, that was the supposed... <laughs> reasoning um the supposed reasoning was one now that we're allowing women in combat um pretty much anybody in the military has to be able to go um into an active war zone um and the idea was that people who are medically transitioning um meaning they need access to hormones um would not be able to have those needs met mm-hmm. um, in an active war zone. I think that's a bit ridiculous because, I mean, if you can give people high blood pressure medication, you can give people their hormones. I think the other idea was the expense. However, I think we've all seen the counter argument about how much they pay for Viagra. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, the famous debate. <laughs> right. I, I know. I love that. I love that they'll they'll put out money for Viagra, but not for our veterans who are, you know, actively disabled. That's wow. yeah. The the VA is yeah. not not in an ideal state, and it hasn't been for a while. I actually heard. I actually heard. Um, I mean, this, I think this is a little bit better than a rumor. I I actually read this in something, but you know, who knows if it? I guess if it 
necessarily holds up. Curtis, but, rumors but, are facts, okay? That <laughs> but, is well, false. Well, that what, was a joke. Read, Everyone listen. Didn't you know this <laughs> is 2020? Yeah. Um, but uh, what I read was uh, in order for Trump to get his tax bill through, which is pretty much the only big piece of legislation that Trump was able to get through in his first um, term, hopefully only term, um, was that he had to agree, he had to get, uh, he had to agree to take the, the, um, protections for trans people, or I guess to say a cruder to kick trans people out of the military because there were like, it was like 10 senators from mostly conservative states that like, I was gonna say mostly Southern conservative states, um, that were, that basically said, we won't vote for this unless you do this other thing for us. And that's, that's what I heard, excuse me, that's what I heard. And that's, and, and it sort of went with this idea that Trump is sort of like, he doesn't always, at least at first he kind of acted like he was sort of pro queer rights, even though that hasn't actually happened. But I mean, he convinced Caitlyn Jenner, didn't he? Exactly. Yeah, there's a video of Caitlyn Jenner using the restroom restroom of of her choice in the Trump Tower, and it came out right before the election. And it was yeah. it was such a garbage video, honestly. It was. And then I remember when this went when when you know when the trans military ban started happening. Um, I remember she tweeted something. It was like, I never saw this coming, and oh, oh really? my gosh, I'm so I'm so upset. And <laughs> really, you didn't see this coming. All right. Well, that's just proof that trans people can also come from a place of privilege. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I, I mean, I, that, Dan, you mentioned earlier, you know, you talked about it's a little bit hard for you to keep up with this stuff to, to read about your rights taken away. And I don't want to get, you know, too, too, too political. But I also want to point out for anyone listening, um, we are heading into voting. And when you say, you know, oh, my vote doesn't matter and it doesn't really affect me and things like that. It's a huge privilege um, to feel like you're not affected by whoever's in office. And uh, there are repercussions for your vote. So I think it's important as we head into kind of this, this voting season and this election to remember that um, your votes do have consequences, especially if people around you, people that you love, you know, they are affected by certain policies. Um, keep that in mind because just because you don't feel it doesn't mean that other people don't. That's a conversation I like to have with my Trump support, Trump supporting grandmother quite a bit. Yeah, I think I think it also it really struck home going back onto um, major legal decisions that have been made this year. Um, the biggest one that hit ho- close to home. Um, a little background. Um, I'm a nursing student. I work in critical care at a local hospital, and we are in the middle of a pandemic. So Good times. I. <laughs> it's been interesting. Um, and then um, Trump repealed um, Obamacare protections of trans people in healthcare. Well, actually, anybody, any sexuality or gender identity. But um, I think obviously it's going to hit. Well, it was going to hit harder to trans people. Um, uh, basically saying that anyone at any time, even in an emergency situation, could refuse to treat someone based on their sexuality or gender identity. Um, like based on the religion or something? Is that because of a religious exemption? So <laughs> if so, what if is that even allowed? What, like, don't you need an oath to kind of help people? You know what you do, but I think you would be surprised at how many people who 
have how many people there are in healthcare that have stopped caring about people. So um, if you so, for example, you break your leg and you need to go to the emergency room, if the doctor who is sent to treat you is, you know, evangelical Christian or whatever, and they don't want to treat you, they, they don't have to. They don't have to. It also extends to working in the hospital. If if I were to get hurt, you know, sometimes we have combative patients. Um, Does you that... know, sometimes there's skills and you slip. If I got hurt at work, my coworkers could refuse to treat me. Um, what if about I the got in a car accident, and, you know, um, this was giving them a pass on that. Wow, and, that's crazy. Oh, I mean, and I think the scariest facts... part for me. Sorry, oh, sorry. The scariest part for me was the idea that I could get into a car accident um, and need EMTs or paramedics to save my life and stabilize me until I can get in an ambulance or get to a hospital. And that's up to the two people that show up on the scene. And if wow. both of them are like, mm, no, I'm not touching them and I die, that's legal. Wow. Um, I'm surprised, you know, I mean, I know, I know, I know what their intentions are with doing this, but I'm surprised that, that, yeah, I'm I'm really surprised that, that they don't see the double standard there. You know, like if, like it seems like this opens it up so that, you know, if it's say it's say you're a Christian and you get hurt and and you, and the person that is treating you, you know, is of another religion or of, or of no religion, and they're like, I'm not treating this Christian or whatever. Like you'd be horrified. You'd be like, how can you do this? You know, it's like, what does this matter or whatever? Like, like doesn't doesn't this doesn't this actually open it up for that as well? I mean, to, for even for say Christian people to be you know, I think uh, well, not treated potentially. I think it, it does. Um, I think it's also interesting. So um, my religion, um, my interpretation of my religion would prevent me from um, assisting or or participating in circumcisions that were not med medically necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it would be interesting to see what a lot of these Christian people who want to circumcise their children with penises would would say to that. Um, but I will I will say, thankfully, um, a federal judge did block that. Um, so I'm safe for now. Thank God. Wow. That is just it's so wild that. And of course, you know, America or United States, I'll say, has a lot of issues. But it's, it's crazy that that's a thing. Like the fact that like I can't imagine somebody from outside of the United States looking in and hearing you say that. Like they would have to be just absolutely baffled like everyone should be. I mean, I think they're baffled enough at our healthcare system to begin with. I remember when I was living in Dublin, they were like, you have to pay for an ambulance. And I was like, yeah, like hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Do you, like, do you remember what? that video that went viral where it was some guy in the United Kingdom asking people questions about – United States medical expenses. Yep. And he and they're would like, yeah, how did you have a baby? What? They like thought it was a joke. And they're like, yeah, that was a joke. It is a joke. That's, that's, that's the reality. It is a joke. Land of the bank on, on a previous episode, we talked a little bit about intersex. Um, um, that, yeah. that a lot more people are born intersex than, than you would think. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I haven't, I've only done a little bit of research and I'm not sure how much you can talk about this, but, you know, just from your, your perspective, like, like 
is there a lot of cases where you know somebody's born intersex and the parents decide to go with 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 you know basically a sur- surgery that that makes them either male or female to assign them officially one or the other like, do you know anything about that or do you have any Definitely. opinion about that um i actually i have a lot of intersex friends because intersex people are a lot more common than we yeah. realize which i'm sure you probably talked about on the previous podcast we actually um, didn't really that much yeah so the estimate is anywhere from between two to eleven percent of the population wow Wow. is intersex yeah. um the the equivalency that has kind of been going around is intersex people are as common as natural redheads that's i that's the one i heard on the tyra show years the statistic has not changed wow well that's i mean I, I, we can't know for sure because like there's a lot of ways to be intersex it's not necessarily just ambiguous genitalia um but um, and that's why we're thinking larger percentages of people are intersex nowadays. Um, but at a very minimum, the estimate wow. is at least as many people as are natural redheads. Not that they have anything to do with each other, mm-hmm. but right. just if you think about how many people you know that naturally have red hair. Wow. You know, Curtis and um, and Kara, in our first episode of the series, Queer is History, um, and during my segment on um, – the queer community in the American frontier, I talk about Mrs. Nash, who was a trans woman who, um, or trans Hispanic woman who lived, um, just like amongst this camp of just men, like all these military people and had like three husbands all throughout his life. And, um, they didn't figure out that, um, it was a trans woman until her death. And, you know, everyone's question, well, didn't they have sex at all? And the author, Quote says um, they kind of looked it to the idea of ambiguous genitals, um, as Zan just so it said. Basically meant that then. Mm-hmm. So it's and it's a, wow. another thing where you know it's not this twentieth century thing. It's it's been it's something that's been modern. happening forever. It has been happening forever, and it's still happening. Um, unfortunately, a lot of states. I mean, the majority of states in this country don't have laws against it um i think laws against what what um, i'm sorry against um surgery on intersex infants okay um there's there's usually there's very rarely an actual medical necessity for surgery on infant genitalia (laughs) um and the idea put out by the american pediatric association and the american psychiatric association is if you have an intersex child to not alter them surgically and just raise them to be a child and um let them figure out at who they are mm-hmm. is it any more difficult for them to do it later than it would be to do it immediately I mean, of course, it's the same. It's the same idea as circumcision. Well, if they change their mind and they want to do it later, then they'll remember the pain and they won't remember it as a child. Um, it also takes yeah. the option away. But exactly, it takes their option away. And I will say, the majority of my friends who are intersex had their options taken away and now have to deal with the reality of medically transitioning yet again yeah. because their parents got it wrong. The doctor got it wrong. They picked the wrong thing. Um, or they're non-binary 
and they would have been perfectly happy with ambiguous genitalia, um, you know, but that's really interesting. That's right. I guess you wonder uh, if the, I guess, and maybe you could speak to it. Has there been any change in practice of the assigned male at birth and assigned female at birth um, within the medical field? I know that's kind of like the go-to thing, but has there been any more kind of flexibility in that in the recent years? I think as more of us are getting educated um, and spreading the word, I think it'll become less and less commonplace. I think there are always going to be places that are decades behind modern science research, even though we, we, we as a medical and nursing profession pride ourselves on evidence-based practice. Right. Um, the, the spread of what should be evidence-based practice come, comes slowly. Unfortunately. I, I've heard from, I've heard from a lot of my queer friends that, um, that when they go to the hospital, um, their gender's assumed, even if they correct it, it, um, you know, uh, the doctor or the nurses will, you know, will, will, will get it wrong, whether accidentally or maybe even on purpose. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about like what you try to do to, um, to help people who, you know, are queer that come in to feel more welcome or feel, you know, feel less stigmatized versus, uh, you know, uh, I guess what what you're trying to do yourself to try to like change this in the medical field. So one of the things I do most is just representation. I'm out at work as queer and trans. Um, everyone knows and they know if they have a queer or trans patient and they need someone knowledgeable, even if I'm not at work, they're more than welcome to call me. I've given out my business card. Um, because I'd much rather wow. them talk to me about at least what basic care should be than have to put someone who's already in a hard situation of having to be in the hospital through any more stress. Or at the very least, I can come in and have a conversation with that patient and say, you know, talk talk as someone from the community, you know, who has some understanding and ask, how do you want to be treated? Because a lot of straight and cis people don't have that comfort of saying, you know, how do you want me to refer to you? They think they're worried of offending people. Um, and so instead they just do what they think they should be doing when really it's the opposite of what they should be doing. When you have a patient and you have a doctor or a healthcare professional, so much of that diagnosis, so much of that patient's willingness to follow their treatment plan depends on that trust with their physician or their nurse or their health professional. It's, it's a huge thing that we talk about in public health. And so when you have people from, you know, a, a marginalized communities in healthcare, um, they're oftentimes less likely to be diagnosed correctly. They're less likely to feel comfortable following the treatment plan. So having p individuals like you uh, or hopefully more doctors, more healthcare professionals who can make their patients feel comfortable and can speak to them properly is super important for treatment of patients. Mm -hmm. If yeah. if somebody if somebody out there is in the medical field and they want to learn how to um, treat their queer patients better, what what would you recommend they do? It's, it's, say they're a cis person, they don't have the, you know, they don't have a colleague that is queer to that they can assigned it that they actually need to be the one to, to make that change what would you recommend 
they do when they when they see a patient? Well, first of all, I would say as medical professionals, we have access to a lot of content on how to properly treat patients. Um, the majority of medical professionals that are nurses or physicians have a certain amount of continuing education credits that they have to get in order to renew a license and whatnot. Um, use some of those. And instead of doing what's going to be easy or what you already know about just so that you can pass and get your credits out of the way, use them to learn about communities you don't know about. Um, there are a lot of good resources out there. I'm sure whatever system their hospital or facility uses has something about queer and trans individuals. Um, and at the very least, that's a, a stepping stone and an introduction. There's a lot of good research. You know, if you're at a hospital, you're more than likely have access to the internet. You, if you are a medical professional, you should know what good research looks like, what responsible research looks like, um, and you should be able to find that information. There are increasingly more and more studies about queer and trans people, um, and there's a lot of information out there for healthcare providers. They just have to be willing to go and look for it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily encourage any specific um, website. Way to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, a lot of good universities, especially if you look in, at universities in more progressive areas, um, they're going to have more research and more information. And mm -hmm. a lot of them will even have like trans healthcare clinics. Um, also, I would say use your, use your fellow, like not necessarily your coworkers, but your fellow medical people. If you, if you have a patient, I mean, and this isn't going to work in that moment necessarily, but if you have a patient that you know you're going to be seeing regularly, or like in my case, if I had a, a trans patient in critical care and you know they're going to be there for a while, email or call someone from a trans health clinic that you find online and say, hey, how do you treat your patients? Medical professionals who are trained in this are going to always be more than happy to give you insight and information. Um, I think, and also just remembering that they're humans and just basic respect. Um, I go into every single one of my patients' rooms and I say, how do you want me to refer to you? Mm -hmm. I live in South Carolina. Some of my patients want me to call them Mima. Some of my patients, <laughs> <laughs> some of them want me to call them Mr. Jones. Some of them want me to call them Reverend so-and-so, you know, like everyone wants to be called something else. And this will also give you a, a, an opening you know, I don't go in and ask people their name and pronouns. Um, a lot of times, I would say, obviously, the majority of my patients are not queer and trans. Um, and I don't necessarily need to give them an opportunity to berate me. Um, but if I go into a trans patient's room and say, how do you want me to refer to you? That gives them a, an opening to say, well, actually, I use this name and and I use these pronouns. Um, I'm sure also the comfort, you know, that you understand, you know, that they're not like getting a doctor who's just going to kind of do what they do, you know, someone who's willing to be like, hey, like, let's make you as comfortable as possible in this situation. 
Well, a lot of patients would be, you know, just just happy that that you cared to even know their name. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, like, you know, medical people, they're in and out and, you know, they don't even know your name, much less your pronouns or, you know, or anything else, you know, I mean, so. Yeah, I think a big step. I think also advocating every hospital has um, clinical educators. And if you go to your clinical educators and ask for resources or you ask for more training, um, they will be able to find that information for you. And I think we need to come up with better systems in our hospitals. Um, We have signs for everything, fall risks, um, intake restrictions, everything. If there was a way we could have a subtle sign to say, hey, this person is trans, that wouldn't out them, that wouldn't make their visitors aware or whatever, There, that would might be a good idea. I mean, there are lots of hospitals who have lots of different ideas. Um, I think this is that for everyone too. You know, I mean, you don't necessarily have to do it just because you think they're trans, you know, you could just say this person wants to be referred as, you know, this or whatever, and have that be the sign up. Exactly. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of really easy solutions that people just aren't willing to put into practice because it's not an issue for them. Um, I think safety is a big issue in medicine for trans people. Um, um, As someone who's experienced discrimination in healthcare as a patient, um, it's it's stressful to, you know, I have a lot of chronic illnesses. I have to go see providers regularly. Sometimes I'm in the hospital. Um, it's, It's hard to find people who won't write you off for your gender identity or try to over-include it. Um, They try to medicalize you being trans. Um, And I think just finding the right balance, recognizing that trans people in general are less likely to get healthcare because of discrimination. And they're less likely to be able to get healthcare because of a lack of support in their life, a lack of insurance. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's just, it's a huge issue within the trans community. Um, and so the fact that they're even there to begin with is a big step. And I don't want to say you need to coddle trans people, um, because we're not weak. We're the, some of the strongest people you'll ever meet, but that extra step of recognizing, Hey, this patient's not going to be comfortable being here. So let me just like, let me just make sure that they're good. Let me just maybe check on them a little more often. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, ask if they need anything. Also, be aware that we have strained relationships sometimes with our family members. So we might have visitor restrictions. We might have, you know, people who, you know, um, come in and ask for us by the wrong name. We it's there's there's a lot of things to take into consideration um (laughs) it's just do your research just just like you would you know i've being in nursing school we spend countless hours doing cultural competency um about different religions and different races and ethnicities um but very little about queer and trans people so i would say for as much research as you did in nursing school and since then on how to be culturally competent with other groups, 
put in that same effort for queer and trans people. Yeah. I, you know, I think one of the things we also have to get like over in our society is this, this idea that somehow the trans movement is in conflict with the feminist movement and not oh, a part yeah. of it. Um, you know, we mentioned on the last episode about JK Rowling um, and, and her comments uh, basically being that you couldn't be a real, a real woman if, if you didn't menstruate or something It had something to do with, with yeah. that. Um, basically and, how, you know, the people who menstruate and, you know, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people, as Curtis said, and I'll do my best impression as you did. Someone help me out. Wumban, Wimpund, Wumud. And basically, like, if you're not a quote unquote natural woman, then you can't be a natural feminist. I love it. Poor thing. <laughs> Doesn't understand basic biology. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean... <laughs> From somebody who does, you know, what 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 do you make of a comment like that? I mean, obviously, it's very, yeah. you know, simplistic and kind of like out of date. But um, I would say it's not even out of date. I mean, we've known intersex people have existed since biblical times. Yeah. Trans people have existed since biblical times. Yeah. Um, yeah in other countries, I mean, in non-Westernized countries, especially there's a lot of examples of trans people existing, third genders and things like that. Um, I mean, even within our own country, we have people who are two spirit and um, obviously they've been here longer than most of us <laughs> um, being indigenous. And I think, I don't know, it just, I think it was a frustrating thing for me because I grew up loving the Harry Potter series, just like anyone else. And, you know, there's lots of good fan fiction about, um, Harry, the Harry Potter world, including trans characters and all the different wonderful ways that magic would be helpful to trans people. And it's such a beautiful thing. And it seems like the sort of thing that, the JK Rowling that we all thought we knew would have loved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then to see her come out with this is obviously just disappointing. Um, it well, doesn't keep me from loving Harry Potter, but she just, she just, she doesn't get it. I, I, I don't give her an excuse for being old or rich. I mean, she's <laughs> not old, but you know, like that's what, so she's older. She doesn't understand. Well, too bad. My great grandmother who was 104 understood me being trans. Yeah. Um, I just, I think, how do we mend this divide though? I mean, like, you know, I mean, there, there definitely seems to, seems to be an, an, a divide that I didn't expect, um, when I first started researching this, um, between people who are feminists that don't think that trans people should be included and people who are like, what? Like, of course they should. And especially like, I remember the, the, um, the, the speech that I saw that you gave at the woman's March, um, you started off by saying something like, I'm the only person speaking that's, that's not a woman or something like that. Yeah. So, sounds about right. It was yeah, a few like, years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. And, and what was interesting was like, like, I guess what, I, what I'm trying to get to is like, like, how do you approach feminism from a non-binary standpoint and, and how, what's the reaction you get from things like the women's march or, or and, and, the, and the and and things that are that are very like you know heavy feminist 
events and 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 be included in that discussion? Uh, well, I think it's interesting. So, I mean, um, I know before we had talked about the idea of TERFs, which are trans-exclusionary radical feminists, um, and there's nothing radical about them. They're just backwards. Um, and that's, <laughs> and that's what we, that's what we, that's what we call JK Rowling. And my own mother is a TERF. Um, and those are the people who think trans people don't have a place in feminism and like women's rights. Um, the speech that you were talking about, my main point in that speech was that we don't have to keep calling it women's rights. We can just say we want gender equality. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with all of us being treated with equity. Mm-hmm. Um, if we just all have an equal playing field, that's what we should want. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what um, in our last episode, Holly pointed out with feminism, you know, fem- feminism is not about you know, it is about getting, you know, women and queer people more rights, but it's about ultimately getting them more rights so that everyone's equal. And like, right. does, I guess maybe that gets lost in tra- lost in translation. I don't know. I think part of I think something that a lot of people are being fed this idea that trans people want rights that other people don't or women want rights that other people don't have. You know, we want more Um and, and the reality is we don't, we just, we want the same. I want nothing more than to have a boring, simple life. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't want to have to spend my Saturdays protesting. I don't want to worry about getting pulled over um, for fear of violence from a cop. Like I, I just, I want to be able to go to work know that if I get sick, someone will take care of me. I want to know that I can love who I love as long as it's between consenting adults. I want to know that I can have kids and they won't be treated poorly. I want to know, like, I just, I just want a life. What? If, if, if you, I don't, I don't understand how, that's so difficult. Everybody wants to look how they want to look. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think it's fascinating that people don't mind when women get plastic surgery. But the minute that a trans person has surgery or takes hormones, it's unnatural in some way. Um, really interesting point that I've actually never thought of. And I wonder if it's just because people they are so quick to shut anything down that they do not like or that they're, mm. they've never experienced before. So a woman get, you know, a woman getting larger breasts. Well, I'm comfortable with that because that's how it's supposed to be, but you know, anything else and God forbid. And I think yeah. unfortunately ignorance and fear um, literally prevents queer individuals from living their life just because someone else is a little bit, it doesn't go with what they learned growing up. And um, I think it also, sorry, I think it's also, we, we live in a misogynistic society. Mm -hmm. Um, So a woman getting larger breasts benefit the men who look at her um, in a sexualized way. I think that's one of the largest issues within the trans, like within the trans community is like, um, 
Yes, trans people face discrimination, but it's fascinating to see how much more privilege my trans men friends get when they transition. Um, And it's the, I would say, the biggest factor as to why so many trans women face murder, because men don't like to see other men, quote unquote, giving up their privilege Mm -hmm. to be weak and womanly and Mm -hmm. you know it's somehow a disgusting thing and they deserve the worst for it um the in the insecurity of the male ego is a fragile thing (laughs) it is and then i think when people look at people like me and they go what i think a lot of it comes from a place of fear and of unknown i mean there i can't tell you how many times i've had a conversation with someone who didn't know I was trans, didn't know I was queer. I mean, I look fairly typically queer, but didn't know I was trans at least. And we were able to have a whole conversation and they would tell me, oh, well, you know, I don't like trans people because of this or because of that. And I'd have a whole conversation with them. And then towards the end, I'd be like, well, you know, I'm trans. And they'd be like, really? But you're so nice and you're so educated (laughs) and you're so, you know, like all of those all of you're, those you're like, stop. little you're like, stop. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, almost every trans person I know is like a genius um, <laughs> and strong and really no. empathetic. Like you have to think about like when people go through like the worst traumas in their life, usually they end up being more empathetic. Um, and trans people just typically face a lot more trauma than cis people. <laughs> every trans person I've known has been intel- very intelligent and 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 uh, and very empathetic. So I mean, that's been my experience as well. So I think I think you just I think people just need to give us a chance. Zan, <laughs> so I know um, there are members in my family who have this perspective, and I feel like it's a perspective that's pretty strong and kind of like the maybe like the center right political spectrum. But it's the idea of. It's kind. Of, I guess you can say kind of the don't ask, don't tell. But you know, it's if you're gay, if you're trans, like you're, I'm, you do you, but just don't push it onto me. You know what? What oh, is? Yeah. What is your response? And I'm just you know exactly what I'm talking about. What is your response oh, to yeah. that perspective? Because it's one that I know a lot of people in the probably like the like the 45 to like 55 age range have. So what's your response to that ideology? I think it's ironic. I think within the trans community, we have a lot of memes about this. (laughs) Um, And it's like, you know, don't push your gender on me. Don't push your sexuality on me. But then cis people go and gender everything. Mm -hmm. And they want like little boys and little girls to pretend to get married. And everything is pink or blue and girls play with dolls and boys play with trucks. And a girl is not being dainty enough if she's playing with trucks and a boy's a little sissy if he's playing with a kitchen set and like, or even then if a girl is playing with a truck, she's a tomboy. She's a tomboy. (laughs) She's not a boy. (laughs) Too much. She'll grow out of it. Um, Yeah, I just, if, if they understood, if they took a moment to really think about how much our society genders and sexualizes everything, they would see that it would, if they, and then they could take a moment to be empathetic to the fact that that makes us uncomfortable. I I would hope that they could see 
or have some empathy for the fact that we're not trying to be aggressive with it. We're just trying to be ourselves. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, because so many people push back against us, it's, it's that idea of like, you didn't start, you didn't try to start the fist fight, but they just kept pushing you and you had to defend yourself. So you finally threw a punch and like, I think they, a lot of people see queer and trans people as these angry, angry people. And to some extent, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I have been. I've been the angry queer person and the angry trans person. and But it comes from a place of hurt um, and fear. And if people would take a minute to listen and to think about someone other than themselves, I think the world would come a, a, a lot farther, a lot quicker. I, I mean, I... I have to think about everyone else all the time for my own safety. Um, I have to defend my existence. And by defend my existence, I mean be the nicest, sweetest trans person you've ever met and be a good role model and get straight A's and do everything perfectly because, God forbid, if I have a bad day, every trans person is horrible. Right. Um, So if if they just took a minute to realize, like, we're just humans... I think like this, this is my biggest argument is like everyone's just a human and we're all just trying to feel better about ourselves and we all just want to be loved. The thing I don't like in politics and, and I'm going to say that, that no matter which end of that spectrum you're on, it happens, but I don't know. I always think it happens a little more in the conservative side is, you know, when you're talking about another type of person you don't use the word people a lot. You don't, you, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, if you say, if you're, you know, it's, it's the immigrants or whatever, you know, you know, you, you don't say like these people, you don't, you don't. And, and I feel like, like that's done for two reasons. One, because I think there would be a guilt that the people saying it would feel if they, if they actually called them people and realized that they were just humans like they were. And there's also this other political game that happens where if you don't, if you don't humanize your enemy, it's easier to shove them in a drawer. Um, you know, so like one of my main goals with this whole little uh, mini series thing we're doing is, and I was talking to you about uh, talking with you, Zan, about this um, was, you know, at no point did I ever want this to be about like you prove your um your existence to me, you know, like, and that's what ends up happening a lot when you, when, when these discussions happen, it's like, you know, I, I'm the normal one. Therefore you have to prove, you know, that you are a person or that your feelings matter. And that, that is a terrible place to start off, off with. Um, You know, unfortunately a lot of people around my age and older, the first time they ever saw a trans person or a queer person was probably on some trashy talk show, mm-hmm. you know, um, Jerry Springer was the worst, you oh. know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember watching that. I watched it too. And, and, uh, and a lot of people that was their first impression of somebody different than them. And it's so stigmatized so many different types of people as, you know, as crazy or as, you know, or, you know, as lustful or, you know, sinners and, and, you know, all these, all these different things I had that, that anyone could be not because you're 
queer or trans or whatever. And so, and, and a lot of times those shows always started out with whatever host it was saying, explain yourself, you tell us why you are. And it was such a terrible way to start out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like there, so there is no, I, I feel like if you're talking to anyone, no matter how different they are from you, you should always start off by remembering that they're people and humans first, not, you know, not not some other thing that needs to prove themselves. I think, yeah, I, 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 I love that. And I definitely, I appreciated you communicating that to me before we recorded the podcast. Um, I think also, I would say that the right does tend to dehumanize people more. However, the left isn't always great at being willing to have conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think especially like living down here, like a lot of people just don't know better. They've never met a trans person that they're aware of. Right. Um, so it does take meeting someone and being like, oh, you're not horrible. And down um, here by meaning the South is the South. Yes. Yeah, what the Dan's South, talking about South Carolina. Um, but I think also, and I, you know, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too. There are just days where I'm like, I just, I can't keep explaining myself to everyone. Um, and you shouldn't have to, you know. But, but that's what it takes to get people to change their minds. Yeah. And that's why we need people who aren't trans to be having these conversations like you are, because we're tired. <laughs> we get tired. <laughs> and, um, and the more that people who, truly understand or at least have a basic concept and can steer people in the right direction, but aren't trans can speak to people who are hesitant uh, or fearful of trans people, the more change that we're going to make. You know, I, I, I love being an educator because it puts me in the room with a lot of people who want to come to just argue with me. (laughs) and a lot of times it is people who their bosses are making them come to this training Mm. as some sort of sensitivity training and they are prepared to ignore me or argue with me the entire time what do you do Um, to break to break those people down and teach them something that they may not readily want to know at the beginning what do you do um i use humor a lot Mm -hmm. and i try to show my humanity um I'm not afraid. If someone says something really hurtful, I'm not afraid to say, hey, that really hurts my feelings. Um, And it's okay that it hurts my feelings. But if you want to engage in this conversation and actually get some answers, I would appreciate a certain level of respect. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, Sometimes, I mean, it just it de- depends on certain people. Sometimes you have to assert some sort of dominance, if you will, and be like, hey, I'm the expert on this. So I'm going to need you to sit down and listen for a minute. Um, or, you know, sometimes you just have to leave them alone and eventually the, their ears will perk up. Right. Um, I think it's that same thing. Like we shouldn't have to tell people, Oh, you should care about this. If you have a trans kid or a trans sibling. Um, but what if you did, 
think about it. What if your kid came to you and said that they were trans? A lot of people haven't had that idea. Um, One of my favorite sayings that I've heard since coming out was, be careful what you say because you never know who it affects. And it's it basically the, the picture was like a kid listening to like their parents, like saying something probably derogatory about someone, you know, in other words, like, even if, even if you don't think your son or daughter or, you know, are, are queer or, you know, or whatever, even if you think that that's the furthest thing from the possibility, like it doesn't give you like the right to just talk about these things that would, that could possibly, if for no other reason could possibly devastate someone you love. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I grew up listening to my mom say things about, you know, two boys holding hands or saw someone kissing and, oh gosh, that's disgusting. I wish they wouldn't, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, my parents will both tell you growing up, I overcompensated for being queer by being boy crazy. Um, so they never would have thought that I was going to grow up to be bisexual. Um, but I did. And I still think about the way that my mom talked about those people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of you wonders, oh, do they still say those things when I'm not around? Do they still think that way? Um, I mm-hmm. think that I think that picture, I, I know the one you're talking about, and it, it really hits home. Um, and if for no other reason, even if your kid does turn out to be cis and straight, teach them how to be a good human. Yeah. Um, mm mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the biggest thing. Um, I, I I wanted to make I know we're kind of getting a little short on time. So I did I, I, I did have one thing that I really wanted to ask you about. Um, I remember the first time we talked, um, we were we were sitting at a table uh, that was uh, it was for it basically was a queer party, right? kind of like a holiday party or something. A holiday party. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we, we were like at the cool table basically <laughs> it was the most diverse table at the party like i mean by we had every age we had every type of person it was it was so interesting people from all over the place and i remember one of the things that really caught my 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 ear that you said and it actually made me think about you for this episode was was that um oftentimes trans people are left behind in the LGBTQ movement or queer movement. Um, and that, and and that, and that trans people were such a huge part of Stonewall and of different and and of the things that led up to Stonewall. And yet it, in the same period of time since then, they've sort of been a little left behind, maybe, maybe a little, um, you know, kind of pushed to the side so that, so that, you know, gay and lesbian people who are now sort of in the vogue um, can kind of rest on their their new rights and they kind of have forgotten some of the original people that helped them get there and so could you just talk a little bit about that I mean I don't hopefully I didn't say it all (laughs) you know like but but like uh, what's your thoughts on that is that does that happen all all the time is it still happening what can we do (laughs) it does happen all the time um you know, there are countless times when I'll even I'll be in a gay bar um, and I tell someone I'm trans and they're like, Ugh, why are you here? Um, <laughs> because I'm, cause I'm trans. Um, <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> um, and I think especially um, as you work your way up through decades, the um, distant disinterest, disgust, um, and 
unwillingness to learn grows. I, I think I, you know, I, I run into so many people, my ex included, I mean, she's in her late forties. And when we first met, she was like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, why can't you just be gay? And I was like, well, because sexuality and gender are two different things. You should have said, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. You cracked the code. But she was like, well, why can't you just be gay? And I was like, well, that's part of it. But uh, that's, that's sexuality. That's who you're attracted to. And gender is who you are. So they're different. Um, and then, you know, and then she didn't understand the non-binary thing. It took her a long time with pronouns. Um, and I mean, she, eventually she caught onto it and it, things were good. But I think that's something common among people her age, especially and, you know, even younger. Um, just that whole like, well, why can't you just why why do you have to make it so complicated? Um, and I like to turn to them and ask them, you know, I or tell them, you know, like, oh, I bet people said the same thing to you when you were younger, too. Mm-hmm. Um you know, how many, how many times, you know, do you hear stories from like older queer people where they're like, yeah, like people just, why did, why did I have to, you know, make things so awkward and so complicated and why can't you just be normal, you know, what normal is. It's like um, the idea that generations, they, they may recognize the struggles that they had, but they don't recognize that the younger generations now are going through similar struggles and they're like, Oh, well, well, my struggles, you know, the solutions came from my struggles. So those solutions stand today. It's like, well, but they change. It comes from a place of privilege, you know, like as you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, queer people overall are, um, have equal rights in this country because that's just, that's not a fact. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you are cis and queer, you have far more rights than if you are trans, um, you you have better representation in media, in politics, um, just just in life in general in the U.S. And you know, you specifically, your might your life might not be easier, but as a whole, things are easier for queer people who are cis right now. Um, and so, I think especially like people who are older who were there before before they had those rights. They're like, oh, well, I did my fighting and I got what I needed. Yeah, Um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I got what I needed and I'm done. Now I can just kind of coast. And they forget that they're not the only part of the community. Um, A lot of people are angry that the trans and intersex communities um, are lumped together with the LGB community. Um. I think I think that's frustrating because, like you said, you know, like Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, trans women of color. Um, they they started they started the movement. Yeah, yeah. Like they they started the movement. They are the reason why you have rights. Um, and now you have your rights, and you're going to turn your back on us. Um, but it, you know, it it happens even within the trans community. Um, binary trans people get a right but they don't advocate for non-binary people. Um, you know, it's just anyone who's up and coming, they're so worried about someone else dragging them down um, and then nobody getting the right that they that they let go of their integrity and 
they get theirs is what the the mentality is is mm-hmm. well i just have to protect myself and whatever you'll figure it out well and there was a controversy with rupaul as well wasn't there with uh with drag race and not wanting a trans person to be part of that or something yeah <laughs> that's consistently been an issue really? yeah i i i believe rupaul kind of apologized but then kind of repeated it or something like that and there's a little bit of a rift there which i thought was you know the last person again you know that you would think would have any problem with anyone in the queer community but had a lot of opinions about who could do drag and who couldn't which is funny because if you actually spend time within the drag community it's one of the most welcoming communities within the queer and trans communities you know i've i've done drag in the past and you know, I had a, I had a lot of concern because I thought I thought it would be fun to be um, a drag queen, mm-hmm. and I was like, but I'm AFAB, you know, I'm a signed female at birth, and they were like, so you'd be an what? amazing drag queen, <laughs> like do it, and I was like, okay, um, and I mean, like I did drag king, I did like like gender drag, like you know, like I I I did it all, but. Um, like that community is is so much about be creative and be yourself mm-hmm. and be silly and weird and and so to see him commercializing on that first of all um and then it just it, it spreads a bad message you know i think because a lot of like cis and straight people watch that show and they watch the queens being catty and they watch RuPaul being shitty and they go oh that's what queer people are mhm i remember like, that's- <laughs> my uh my first experience with RuPaul's drag show um it was my best friend Connor and I and Connor's gay and we had visited um the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park um he planned the trip as uh, an early uh, bachelor party for me just he and I went on this trip together and on the way driving back to Missoula we stopped in Billings Montana and we were staying at his friend's house and it was uh, me, who's a straight white male with four gay men in this house, which, you know, totally fine, like whatever. And we're chilling and they put on RuPaul's drag show and we're watching and Connor <laughs> turns to me. And he's like, so. And I, I, I really hadn't had any experience with drag. And he's like, so what you think? And I was like, it's interesting. And he's like, I knew you were going to say that. And at the time, you know, I, I had no reference to it. I had no, I had, that was, I was just like, I, I was completely ignorant to the whole world of drag other than what I see in movies or, you know, pop culture or whatever. Um, but now, you know, I've tried to do my research to try to do my part to be, you know, more understanding. And like, as he said, it's a fantastic community of people. Um, unfortunately, there are, you know, the bad sides that we see with what RuPaul has expressed but it's pretty awesome community of people yeah i think like it's it's funny because we started we started this almost talking about like jk rowling and harry potter and it's it's like it's almost the same thing like almost Mm -hmm. every single person i know that like loves harry potter and like i used i played quidditch in college and like everyone i played quidditch with (laughs) (laughs) but like everyone that i played quidditch with well first of all it's um it's a co-ed sport. So like I actually mm-hmm. could play as a non-binary person. So like there's rules about how many people of each gender you can have on the the pitch at a time. And like I counted as my own gender. So pretty much like I could That's always awesome. go in and play whenever I awesome. wanted oh, as long yeah. as I needed a break. 
<laughs> um, like Quidditch is like the only. Finally, you get one thing. Like, like you know, one more bonus. <laughs> you got one. You got one bonus in society. Kiss my ass. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, like Quidditch <laughs> recognizes trans people and like non-binary people, and it's great. And like everyone who played Quidditch was amazing. Like no one ever misgendered me, and everyone was super supportive. And like, at, for, I think for a whole like the people who are super into Harry Potter, like me you know, are like that. Um, and like I said, like all the fan fiction that's written about like supporting trans people. And then like, it's the same with like the, the drag community, like, and in the reality of drag, like it's such an open and welcoming community, you know, it has its roots in like ballroom and, you know, having each other's back and making a chosen family and just like this wonderful, wonderful, beautiful experience as a queer person. But then you go to like the commercialized side of it or the person who's who is, you know, capitalizing on it. And they're just person. (laughs) So much of it is just based off of one money marketing, you know, the industry. It's not based off of just pure expression anymore. When I think, yeah, and I think that's what's so sad. And like, I think it's it's fascinating. I don't know, honestly, much about RuPaul's life growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know most drag queens come from a kind of rough life um or at least the ones that i know this might be a south carolina thing but they come from a rough life people don't typically understand non-white them. as well you know typically I mean, yeah, other... exactly. typically people of color um and you know face low socioeconomic status homelessness this was how they were able to make their money finally find a family that cared about them you know find find love find home um and so I, I I would imagine potentially RuPaul came from the same kind of background. Um, and, you know, the same with J.K. Rowling. At one point, she was homeless. She'd faced domestic violence situations. And you would just, you know, it, you hear about these those people and you, th- you expect them to be more empathetic people because they've been through traumas themselves or mm-hmm. hardships. And they're just not. And they're stingier with their rights be- in a way because they've had to scrounge for them or something like that. They don't like they don't they're yeah. not as open to other people coming into that and it's that whole idea that like rights are not pie like <laughs> yeah we can all have rights like you don't have to share just because i got a cut of pie doesn't mean you're getting less pie like it's not pie it's just <laughs> like we can all just be good people and be nice like i think we don't talk about enough of the effect I and mean, we obviously live in a society where we've called it normal to be straight which is just that's such a bizarre word to use for that there's no such like normality for who you're attracted to and it's normal to you know wear pink as a girl or blue as a boy and we don't i don't think there's a lot of talk about the trauma and like the internalized stigmatism that gives a lot of individuals and so even if you you know fall somewhere that's considered not normal on the gender spectrum or or on who you love you might still hold stigmas against yourself and others because you're like indoctrinated and that's very painful i would imagine um to have to deal with that and then the confusion of being like, why are you treating me that way? We're on the same, we're trying to fight the same battle here, but it's because you're like indoctrinated. Exactly. Um, you know, we have words for that. We call it like internalized homophobia, internalized transphobia. Um, and, and it's funny, it's, it's, it's the same, it's the same uh, vocabulary that comes to mind when I think of trans people that are Republicans. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, honey, you must really hate yourself. Okay. There, I can't. Um, I don't have a 
movie reference directly to this specific trouble within the trans community, but to parallel it to the um, African-American community, if anyone gets a chance, watch Lee Daniels' The Butler, because it's the exact same thing between, I can't think of his name, but the main character, the butler, and his son. Forrest Whitaker, isn't it? Um, yeah, the actor is Forrest Whitaker, but, you know, he yeah. has his idea of how, you know, he progresses. He, you know, and it's kind of the idea of a conservative um, black man where, you know, you button up your shirt, you tuck it in, you tighten your tie, and you go to work, and you make it happen for yourself, whereas his son the entire time was, you know, fighting against... Um, uh, racial injustice. He is part of the Black Panthers. You know, he's getting arrested constantly. And, you know, he tells his son, you know, why can't you just, you know, keep it together and just work? And he's like, well, that worked for you, but it's not working for us. And so it's it's a, it's a great parallel of this exact struggle, but within the African-American community, if anyone wants to get um, an example of a movie to get a better understanding of this specific difference between the struggles of older generations and younger generations. I think it's fascinating because it also like it comes from the community itself and it comes from outside the community too. you know, like when when the trans healthcare rollback happened with Trump, I remember like I was crying to my dad and my, my dad was like, well, but how do people know you're trans? Like they don't know you're trans unless you tell them. And I was like, that's not the issue. Like <laughs> I'm not, not going to hide point. who I am so that I can get health care like I would if I had to and I've had to before. But the idea is that I shouldn't have to mm-hmm. like that argument that Dalen mentioned earlier. The, you know, I don't care what you do. Just don't throw it in your face. We talked about this, I think, on another episode that doesn't exist. It's one way. What you're saying is don't be who you are, hide yeah. who you are, because it makes me uncomfortable. And we at some point in society, we like decided things, whether it was you know, because it came from a Bible verse or a marketing campaign, like actually this is going to be the norm now. And if you don't fit inside of it, keep it out of my face. Um, that's not fair. That's not fair. So there's no such thing as just don't do it in front of me. Yeah. The only thing that, that means is just, hey, don't be yourself. Okay. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't express love... yourself in any public form. <laughs> exactly. When I love that Kara, like you, you brought up um, like the idea of normal and like, people facing a stigmatization and things like that. Um, you know, there's a really popular subreddit called like, are the straights okay? Um, <laughs> no, we are not. And, and no, no, y'all aren't. Um, <laughs> maybe some of y'all that's, that's the decision we've come to as a group. And there's also, are the fifth okay? Um, and so, and so, like, the decision that we've come to is, like, most of y'all know. <laughs> so, y'all need some therapy. <laughs> so, Thera- um, therapy is a good thing. Right. Everyone needs therapy. Just, just go to therapy. Even if you think you're fine, just go to therapy. Dan, what would you, like, what are, like, actual things you could do other than just, you know, having an open mind and stuff like that, which is good advice, but more general. What specific things could someone in the queer community do to include trans people better into, you know, the laws and the, and the, just the, um, some of the privileges that they enjoy. Like what, what can somebody do who wants to make a difference is, is queer, um, but doesn't know how, what can they do? They can, this is going to sound rude. They can shut up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, they can shut up and ask trans people 
um, which is what you're doing now, which is good. But in general, um, I think a lot of times people like to speak for us, um, Mm. but don't really know what they're talking about. Um, So I think like if you're an organization, especially that wants to be advocates for trans people and non-binary people, have those people at your table, have those people on your boards and your organizations. Um, You know, like I'm on the board of a local organization as like a human rights committee chair, Um, you know, actively search, don't tokenize, but actively search for people who are interested in those positions. Um, I think also like, this, I'm not the first trans person to ever like speak on this. And there's going to be, there's lots of articles about what is important. Um, I think like the basic things, just like, like making the space for us. If, if we're, if you're having a meeting somewhere, if you have name tags, make sure you have pronouns on name tags. Um, anytime you introduce yourself, Um, tell someone your pronouns and then ask what theirs are too. And then at the very least, if they don't know what you're talking about, it's an opportunity to educate them about why it's important to talk about pronouns. Um, If you're having a meeting somewhere, make sure that there is a gender neutral bathroom available. Um, I think also like something we don't talk about a lot in in the intersectionality of being queer and trans is one, meeting in spaces that are comfortable for people of color, but also accessible for people with disabilities. Like the majority of queer and trans people I know have disabilities of some sort. And as someone who um, has disabilities and, you know, has had to use a walker before, I found myself not being able to attend a lot of meetings I wanted to go to because it was too loud and I couldn't understand people or there were stairs to get into the building or, you know, just, it was too far of a walk from where the parking was. Um, Thinking about these things when you're setting up these meetings is going to make it accessible for so many more people. Make sure you're not going to a restaurant that has Confederate flags hanging. If you're (laughs) inviting people of color, Um, like, you know, in my organization that I'm part of down here, we have a list of local restaurants that we don't go to um, for various reasons. And, you know, we just, we, we're always on the lookout for great new places to try, but we have our places where we know we don't go. Um, what, like, just in general, what kind of reasons would get a restaurant on that list? displaying paraphernalia like don't tread on me flags confederate flags Mm -hmm. blue lives matter flags um like i've had i've been somewhere where like the staff was wearing t-shirts that said inappropriate things um like i said like places that aren't physically accessible places that are in general like too loud and don't offer like a a smaller separate environment um, because a lot of people have sensory issues um, or um, like I have an auditory processing issue. And so like if I can't see your lips and it's loud, a lot of time I can't understand you. Um, so like also good lighting. Um, 
it's just it's a it's a lot of things to take into consideration but if these things are important to you then you'll make it work mm -hmm. have, have you ever expressed any any of of say like the lesser issues to to a restaurant i'm not sure if you would you know and to see if they would change something say like like the lighting or something like that yeah there are definitely places um where we've had conversations or they were able, able to offer us like a separate meeting space mm -hmm. or they let us come in early before opening hours mm -hmm. or, you know, just different things. Um, I mean, some places that's not going to be able to work and we completely understand also like we have, um, like also like, um, being aware of who like their hiring practices sometimes are important. Um, whether that's them, purposely not hiring people who are previously incarcerated. And like, that's something that we would disagree with in my organization or whether they are hiring people who are like child molesters or something, you know, like we're not, we're not necessarily going to. Yeah. Uh, want to be there. Yeah. Contribute to their, contribute to that. They're well. Uh, exactly. So yeah, just, just being mindful. I think being mindful consumerism um, is important. That's an old school uh, way of doing it too. I mean, that's, that's something that was a big part of the pride movement as well. I remember um, um, I grew up in California and I used to go back and forth to San Francisco a lot. And even, you know, this is, you know, like 30 years at, at that time would have been 30 years after, you know, sort of the pride movement began. Um, you know, I remember there being like uh, lists of restaurants that were gay friendly or lesbian friendly or queer friendly or trans friendly. Um, and, and, uh, and essentially the Castro in, in San Francisco um, became the Castro because they stopped going to the businesses that, were not treating them well mm -hmm. and they kind of they went out of business and and they replaced them with businesses that that would or would even be run by you know queer people themselves and so that's that's how a neighborhood starts is is you know it, it took it they basically weeded out the people who were not willing to lend that hand yeah know, People forget about that, but you know where you spend your money speaks volumes, not only about who you are, but it also is going to impact their ability to stay open. And the more you spread information about their business practices, um, whether you know positive or negative, their environment, whether positive or negative, it's going to impact their ability to perform as a business. Mm -hmm. And it should. All right, y'all, we're coming up on time here. Um, Kara, do you have any more questions you would like to ask Zan? No, I just, Zan, thank you for being on here and chatting with us. And like you said, I think it's important to remember that um, we need to make sure we're giving platforms for people to speak. Nobody needs to speak for um, the trans community other than, than people like you, Zan. And so we're so grateful to have you on here. Thank you. Thank you. Zan, any final points you would like to make or any plugs as well? Um, No plugs. Um, a couple final points. Um. I had planned on working these in somehow, and then I just forgot. Throw okay. so, them in now. Uh, this is your chance. <laughs> all right. So the last things I'm going to say are, one, I think a lot of people have a hard time um, when they're they're not informed about gender identity because they see it as something that's inherently sexual. Mm. Um, and I think like moving away from it having a connection to sexuality 
or anything sexual at all is going to be important in getting people to embrace the trans community. Um, and then I think second of all, like, um, I guess I always like to tell people like not just necessarily queer people who want to do things, but just anybody who, who wants to be compassionate to trans people, things that you can do. Like I said already, like always telling people your pronouns, um, and asking other people theirs, like not just when you think they're trans or when you think other trans people are around, but just in life in general, putting them like in your bio on your social media, putting them in your signature and your email. Um, it just, it normalizes it. So I don't have to be the only one to be like, Hey, these are my pronouns. <laughs> um, and then also, like, I love when people want to learn more and ask questions, but I think there's a couple important things to ask yourself before you go and ask a lot of questions. Um, one is, can I Google this and find, like, accurate information that I think is reputable? Um, and then also... Because I'm, I'm far more likely to be able to educate someone or have a good conversation with them if they have somewhere to start from. If they mm -hmm. approach me and they go, hey, I read this article. What do you think about that? That's a lot easier than like, hey, tell me about trans things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, where do I start? And then the second thing, which is probably my most important thing, um, is focused around the idea of consent. And as I was talking about before, Sometimes you just get tired explaining things. Um, so asking questions is wonderful, but the first question you should always ask someone when you're asking about their personal experiences or to educate you about their experience is if it's okay to ask questions first. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I'd much rather someone approach me and say, hey, is it okay if I ask you some questions about this topic? Sometimes the answer might be no. I might be having a bad day. I might be tired. I might be busy. But the fact that you respected me enough to get my consent to ask those questions first instead of just hurling them at me is going to mean so much to me. And I think it's just something that's important for us as humans to like make sure that people are comfortable with having those conversations. Because um, I'm more than likely going to be more than happy to answer your questions. But... Oh, and then also remembering, like, yes, I'm on this podcast, but, like, I don't speak for all trans people. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no trans person speaks for all trans people. So we can all share our individual experiences and things that we have seen and, you know, come to understand as normal. But we all have individual experiences because we're all unique human beings. Well, that's – I know we appreciate you and we appreciate Holly coming on and talking with us because – as much as we can, you know, talk about the history and talk about some of our analysis, there's so much about this topic and, you know, this area that we just would not be able to accomplish without your input. And so we very much so appreciate you talking with us because it goes a long ways, I think. Yeah, thank you so much. It was so interesting talking to you, Zan. No, oh, thank you so much. I'm honored to be asked to be on the podcast. <laughs> yep. Thanks, Zan. Stay in touch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. Absolutely. Bye. You too. What a right, 
another wonderful conversation. It was really interesting to hear the perspective. I know we spent a lot of the show on that, but just hearing somebody from the medical field talking about the trans community is so fascinating because it's a perspective, you know, you hear so much about the social aspect and, you know, whatnot, but hearing the actual medical side and even some, you know, she was, they, I apologize, were referencing, you know, court cases and policy. It was really fascinating to hear. Yeah, it's a it's an inside perspective, you know. Um, I, I think it, it's actually I think more common than you think um, that you know the person that you're that you um, go to see at a hospital is going to be part of the queer community because you know it, a lot of people um, that are queer or have been told that that you know there's something wrong with them, and and I think that the way to combat that is through knowledge, through science, and a lot. Of, so a lot of them are extremely smart um, individuals that 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 thankfully lend their their uh, opinion to to you know to add to the uh, medical community and and I and the science behind it because they feel strongly about this. Of course they do. Well, that will do it uh, for today's episode. Did you all have anything you want to plug tonight? Um, I kind of want to plug the next episode um, yeah. because, uh, you know, we, we just did two episodes that were interviews um, and interview driven. And then and then we have one more interview coming up and it's going to be really interesting because we're going to sort of talk about the um, the history of the drag movement and of yep. gender expression, which is definitely tied to the topic that 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 uh, of, of gender that we've been talking about. But we haven't necessarily covered it um, really well. And so I think it's going to be really interesting do a whole episode on that and uh, and and kind of just how it ties into the overall movement. You know, it's it's so fascinating because we talk about, you know, that how we have the, the word queer that covers the whole community. And then you go more individually with LGBTQ plus with all the different you know letters. And then from there, it just branches out like crazy. And it's you can choose these individual things and talk about them under this umbrella but when you talk about a specific one and you talk about them individually, it becomes its own entire thing. And so I, yeah, I, I'm i also – your own. Especially the um, – I'm very excited about the gender expression side of the next episode because that's a part that everybody does whether they you know really know it or not. And it, it'll be interesting to kind of dive deeper into. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, you, you know, people do a whole podcast on these on these subject right. matters. So I, I think it's so cool that we're able to, you know, split this up into what is it now seven parts, I guess. Um, you know that <laughs> this is a <laughs> because, big series. Yeah, because you know, you start off, you you know, you think you can cover it in in one or two episodes, and then you're like, like you said, it just branches off, branches off. It's a huge topic, and a lot of it really doesn't get talked about, especially in sort of like say non non queer podcasts which are you know they just generally talk about a lot of different things like we are so i think it's really important that we're treating it this way you know this i think when we were planning this episode to begin with we planned it to be three episodes or the series to begin with and we planned it to be three episodes and now it's yeah i think like seven episodes long <laughs> i mean and honestly there you know there's probably a lot that we're missing but yeah. but i think we're doing a good job to uh to at least get like kind of the nitty gritty of it i think we're doing our due diligence but if you want to get a hold of us, you can shoot us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. You can follow us on the Facebook machine and the Instagram at podcastwithoutborders. 
Uh, yeah. Also, if you could, uh, give us uh, some five stars on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, and just leave us a review. Tell us we're amazing. And then, uh, or you can tell us we suck. That's fine, too. If you if you hate us, let us know. Um, it's good to know. Um, but just let us know what you think about this show, and that way it helps us grow, it helps us improve, and it lets us know what you enjoy and what we're doing right or what we're doing wrong. But either way, it helps us out. So if you could, leave us a review and leave us a rating. It would be much appreciated. And with that, we will talk to y'all in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Social Discord part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.